Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord. Don't you want to know him more? Don't you want to know him better? I think we all could stand to know him just a little bit better today. And hopefully by the time we leave, we can say that, that we know him just a little bit more. If you would stand with me this morning. Join me in the book of Acts, chapter 3. We're going to spend a little bit more time in the Word this morning. Is that all right? Acts, chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask an alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And so for just a few moments this afternoon, with the help of the Lord, I want to talk to you from a simple subject, the power to give. The power to give. Can you lay your Bibles down? Let's lift our hands and our voices to heaven and Ask the Lord to help us today. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you. Thank you for this moment in time, this opportunity, this day that you've given us once again to be in your house and in your presence. I just ask you now, God, humbly, that you would touch my mind and my heart and help me, God, to convey what I feel like you've laid on my heart, God. Help us to receive your word with joyfulness, God, in our heart. And help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. May be seated in the name of the Lord. I have a particular aversion to useless things. I tend to shy away from things that don't have a particular use. I was raised by a man who would once say, I don't want anything around the house that eats and doesn't work. So you better be useful. Trinkets or knickknacks, what northerners would call tchotchkes or collectibles, miscellaneous items that don't have particular purpose or need. I have a particular aversion to those things. I don't really have a need for them, and so I don't really care for them. 
I think that's okay for some if you want to decorate and things of that nature. And that's not to say that our house is a millennium, minimalist house with stark white walls and bare minimum of furniture. But I don't like scenic drives. I don't particularly like to go in a car where we are not going to end up somewhere. Just meandering around. Those types of activities, they don't really interest me. In fact, I believe that if you're going to get behind the wheel, you should have a purpose. You should have a time to get there. You see, that's what the car was made for. It was made to take you from point A to point B. And so I believe that if you're going to go, have an intended destination and move with a purpose. See, aimlessly drifting is easy. Aimlessly driving with no point, nowhere to go is fun, but it won't get you anywhere but off track and off the well-trodden paths that you were intended to take. You see, David said that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. And so God created each and every one of us here in this house today for a specific plan. He created us for a specific purpose. He placed us on a specific path with an intended destination I'm fascinated when I read of the disciples, those men that Jesus chose out of all the men that he could have chosen when he went to them, men who left all they knew and all that they were accustomed to in order to follow after him and to fulfill the plan and purpose of God. Men such as Abraham who left house and home. He left everything that he was familiar with to venture out and embark on an unknown journey. Go into a land that I will show you. Follow me and I will make you. Keep my commandments and I will make something of your life. And I will do it in such a way as to give you enough overflow to flow into the lives of other people. These men would walk with God himself both in his flesh, and they would walk with him in the spirit. They would live lives as written and living epistles to be seen and read of men. And they would eventually put pen to parchment and write words of eternal consequence. I believe that we are called here today with that same calling that was placed upon those men that they were called with. Each one of us here today, whether you will agree with me or not, I believe have a high and a holy calling that is resting upon each and every one of our shoulders. And that calling, that that, that mandate that has been placed upon our lives is to give what we have been given. It's most likely a very familiar passage of Scripture, the one that we have read. Peter and John are making their way to the temple for prayer. It's the ninth hour. It's the evening sacrifice. It would most likely be the last opportunity that one would have in that particular day to enter the temple. And so as the Jewish day draws to a close, Peter and John find themselves face to face with an opportunity. That man that was laying at that gate had been brought there daily. 
He was lame from his mother's womb, and so he entered into life. Halt, follow me now. He would make his living as others would, begging for change. He would make his living as other beggars would, a meager existence, only getting what he could just to get by. This nameless man would only get what was necessary to take him from point A unto point B, just enough money to get him to his next meal, just enough to merely exist. However, on this particular day, however, on this fateful afternoon, all of that would soon change because on this day, he would come into contact and he would lock eyes with two men who had something to give him. But it wasn't silver and it wasn't gold. It wasn't something that could be counted with weight as the world counts weight. It was the power of the name of Jesus Christ. It was the name that was above every name. It was the same name that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. And it was given with the absolute authority and the power in which to give it. Hear me today. Let me pause for a second and say this. If you are in this house and you have been baptized in that name and you have been, you have been taken down in a watery grave for the remission of your sins and that name was called over you, you have been given the power and the authority to call on that name. And just like a few minutes ago when we began to sing about that wonderful, that beautiful and that powerful name when you call on that name something is going to happen something is going to transpire something is going to take place you see Peter must have remembered again the words of his Lord but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in all Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. It was absolutely apparent that he understood and remembered the words of Jesus Christ when he said in Mark 16, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, in my name, somebody say that name right now. In that name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them and they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover hear me today this is our heritage this is our promise but this is our responsibility not only are these things promised of the Lord but they are mandated by him. You see, purpose means something to God. Old Testament prophets foretold of a coming Messiah who would enter into the world, and Jesus fulfilled that prophecy not only 
by showing up, but he carried out and exampled everything that was written in life. And in like fashion, Jesus Christ instructed his disciples that they should do what he called them to do. And the book of Acts is our example of his teaching and his command. Hear me. The book of Acts today is not only our pattern of doctrine, but it is our pattern of works. Not only is the book of Acts our pattern of faith, but it is our pattern of works. I believe it was James who said, show me your faith and I'll show you my faith by my works. Because without works, faith is dead. We must have faith in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. But we must show our action by our faith in that name when he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. Hear me today. What the world needs more than they need another program, more than they need something else to entertain them by, more than what they need to only get them by. What people need to experience in this world is some people who are walking in the Spirit who can say, in the name of Jesus Christ, and I'll demonstrate unto you what that name represents. Hear me, if we don't possess the authority of the name, if we don't possess the faith in the name, if we don't have the action and the wherewithal to put our works to our faith, we might as well go ahead and throw another coin in the cup. If we don't have what God has given us, and if we don't institute it in this world, then we might as well just throw some more change in the cup as we pass by because it won't be enough. It won't be any different. And I say this with great deference. But it won't be any different than what any other church body is doing in this community today. Silver and gold. I don't have that. But what I do have, I'm going to give it unto you. You see, we have the answers that this world is looking for. They may look the other way and they may give you a haughty look but understand something. They see something in you that they want. They see something in you. They don't know what it is but they desire it. And so we have what this world is looking for. We have the keys to the kingdom and we have the words of eternal life. The only question is, are we going to give what we possess or are we going to hoard it unto ourselves like spiritual misers who never enjoy the spiritual bank that we have. A miser nothing more than a person who has extravagant wealth but refuses to live like it. Now I'm not saying that I agree with someone who flaunts their wealth and, 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 and puts themselves out there as some flamboyant thing. But if you got money, you might as well act like it. 
Probably the world's most famous misers was a lady by the name of Hetty Green. She remains in the Guinness Book of World Records as the most miserly woman in the world. And it was coined America's most detested woman by her own biographer. Henrietta Howland Robinson Green, the legendary witch of Wall Street, took a Bedford whaling inheritance and turned it into an estate worth $100 million by the time of her death in 1916. She was the wealthiest woman of her time and the 34th wealthiest person ever, according to a study by the Wall Street Journal. She loved money above all else. Although she was incredibly wealthy, Hetty never got to enjoy any of her fortune simply because she was too stingy. She lived in a cold flat in Hoboken, wore the same shapeless black dress, days on end, layered with newspaper and cold weather, seldom bathed, reused envelopes, and ate mostly oatmeal heated on a radiator, all to save money. They say that she existed on $5 a week, and all the while her bank account was increasing exponentially. When her 14-year-old son, Ned, hurt his leg severely while sledding, she would not take him to the doctor, and he ended up eventually having it amputated. She apparently died of a stroke after she had a screaming match with a cook who worked for a friend. That cook was apparently being a, a little too liberal in the preparation of meals. And after her death, her son Ned spent his inheritance freely. He spent it on yachts, luxurious homes, and female companions. And when he died, he still had $125 million, which went to his sister Sylvia. And when she died, she left her fortune to distant relatives, friends, and charities. Hetty green must have whirled in her grave. Hear me, we cannot be a person like Hetty Green with a spiritual resource and spiritual resources in the bank that the world could benefit from only to keep it for ourselves and never really use it to benefit our own lives and the life we live. Hear me, God has given us more, more than we could ever deserve and it is our duty to give it away unto this world. Paul told Timothy, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that is in thee also. Wherefore I have put in thee remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be thou not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who hath saved us, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Hear me, all the mercy and all the compassion, all the grace and all the love and all the power that God has given to us was not meant to stay on a shelf unused and useless just so that we can look at it on Sundays and so that we can just look at it on Wednesdays. But what God has given us is supposed to be given every day of our lives. It was meant to be given away. It's the calling of the church. 
Go and make disciples. Go and lay hands on the sick. Go and be the church that I have called you to be. Never, never should it ever be said of the church of the living God, especially this day and time. What was once said in response to a very pious and a very dangerous statement made by Pope Innocent IV. As Thomas Aquinas, surnamed the Anglican doctor, going one day into the Pope's chamber where they were reckoning large sums of money. The Pope addressing himself to Aquinas said, You see that the church is no longer in an age in which she can say, Silver and gold have I none. It is true, he replied, nor can she say to the lame man, Rise and walk. And so my God in heaven, if we have ever done anything for God, we ought to understand our purpose and step out into this world and give what we have been given because we have been given the power to give it and the authority to do so. We see Peter and John, they understood their purpose. They understood and believed what God told them and they obeyed that commission that was so heavily placed upon their lives. They remembered the parable that Jesus spoke of the Good Samaritan. And they understood the importance of compassion that they should have on a soul. They were there when the book was handed to him and he began to read from the prophet Isaiah. When he said, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet. And he was opened the book. He found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord and he closed the book and he handed it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fasted upon him they would come to understand the significance of the responsibility and the burden that was placed upon the ministry now hear me now hear me now the ministry does not consist of everyone that stands behind this line or behind this pulpit the ministry is not a designated geographical spot somewhere on this platform to occupy the ministry is not even relegated inside the four walls of this building but the ministry is everyone inside of the, this building under the sound of my voice and so for those who think no I'm not part of the ministry if you've been baptized in Jesus name and if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, you are part of the ministry. You see, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, to the church, therefore if any man, somebody say any man, be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry 
of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us somebody say that's me the word of reconciliation now then because of all of that now then we are ambassadors of Christ as though God did beseech you by us we pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled unto God you see the ministry is not relegated to these to this this area of the building but the ministry extends to everyone in this place Paul said that we are the ministry that word ministry means to serve it means service it means a servant and it means those who execute the commands of other was it not him that sat those men down and said go and preach go and make disciples go and do my bidding was it not Jesus Christ that sat them down and said I will be with you always don't be afraid just step out in faith and give this world what I have given you we are to represent him everywhere we go and hear me when we step into that place we have already been given the authority of the kingdom of God wherever we step our foot as long as we're in step with the Spirit as long as we walk with Him when we set our foot in that place of business you have the authority to be the man or the woman of God in that place to give what God has given you now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer now I'm coming in for a landing but it's a long Runway, and we're going to taxi for a little bit before we get to the gate. Being the ninth hour, a certain man lame from his mother's womb was brought to that gate every single day just to ask for alms. Peter, fastening his eyes with John, said, Look on us. And he said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up. And walk, and he took him by the right hand, and he lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. Now I believe that God laid this on my heart. Now, in a few minutes, we'll we'll know the outcome of that. So, but just in a moment of time, I believe God just just brought out these two statements. The ninth hour in the right hand. The ninth hour was the last opportunity that these men would have to go into the temple. Three times daily they gathered, perhaps, still going to observe the evening sacrifices, the morning and the noon. Perhaps even to witness to people who were in the temple. This was the last opportunity of the day. Some writers and commentators note that the apostles observed all prayer times of the temple. And so just let me just run with my imagination here for a minute. 
Perhaps this wasn't the first time Peter and John laid eyes on this man. Maybe Peter thought to himself in this moment, I may never have this opportunity again. I believe here today, without a shadow of a doubt, that we are in the closing hours of this dispensation. It's the last opportunity that many of us will have to get in step with the Spirit of God. I believe that we are living in the last days and some opportunities may not present themselves again unto us. And so if we are going to do anything for God, today is the day. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, but today. I want to do what God is calling me to do today. And secondly, the right hand. Hurting people in this world need more than just a handout. They need a hand up. And we must be intentional about what we are doing in this world today. Hear me today. We must reach out with all that we have and we must be what God has called us to be with everything within us. And so to those who are doubting their work, for those who are doubting their purpose and their calling, I say to you, you have something to give and you have something to give today you have the power that God has placed inside of you and the calling upon your life to carry out the mandate in this hour as this hour begins to close you have been called for a purpose and you have been called for such a time as this can we just lift our hands for just a moment and thank him we need you Lord Jesus, Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah. Our musicians will get ready. I have quite a lengthy reading, but I feel like this is pertinent. I am closing. On the surface, James Harrison is just an average guy. He loves his daughter, his children, his grandchildren, his family. He collects stamps. He goes for walks near his home on Australia's central coast. But it's what's underneath the surface that makes him extraordinary. Specifically what's flowing through his veins. Known as the man with the golden arm, nearly every week for the past 60 plus years he has donated blood plasma from his right arm. 
The reason can be traced back to a serious medical procedure that he underwent as a child. In 1951, he says, I had a chest operation where they removed a lung. And I was 14, recalls Harrison, who is now in upwards of age 81. When I came out of the operation a couple days after, my father was explaining what had happened. He said, I had received 13 liters of blood and my life had been saved by unknown people. He was a donor himself, so he said, when I'm old enough, I'll become a blood donor too. Soon after Harrison became a donor, doctors called him in. You see, his blood, they said, could be the answer to a deadly problem. In Australia, up to about 1967, there were literally thousands of babies dying each year. And doctors didn't know why. It was awful, explained Gemma Falkenmeyer of the Australian Red Cross Blood Service. Women were having numerous miscarriages and babies were being born with brain damage. It was the result of racist disease, a condition where a pregnant woman's blood actually starts attacking her unborn baby's blood cells. In the worst case, it can result in brain damage or death for these babies. You see, rhesus disease happens when a pregnant woman has rhesus negative blood and the baby in her womb has rhesus positive blood inherited from his father. If the mother has been sensitized to rhesus positive blood, usually during a previous pregnancy with a rhesus positive baby, she may produce those antibodies and destroy the baby's foreign blood cells. Harrison was discovered to have an unusual antibody in his blood. And in the 1960s, he worked with doctors to use the antibodies to develop an injection called anti-D. It prevents women with rhesus-negative blood from developing RHD antibodies during pregnancy. Australia was one of the first countries to discover a blood donor with his antibodies, so it's quite revolutionary at the time, said Falkenmeyer. Harrison's blood is precious. He and Anti-D are credited with saving the lives of more than 2 million plus babies, according to the Australian Red Cross Blood Service. That's 2 million lives saved by one man's blood. You see, every bag of blood is precious, they said, but James's blood is particularly extraordinary. His blood is actually used to make a life-saving medication given to these moms who are at risk. And every, every batch of anti-D that has ever been made in Australia has come from James's blood. Doctors still aren't exactly sure why Harrison has this rare blood type, but they think it may be from the transfusions that he received when he was 14 after his lung surgery. He's one of no more than 50 people in Australia known to have the antibodies according to the Red Cross. I think James is irreplaceable for us, says Falkenmeyer. I don't think anyone will be able to do what he's done. But certainly we, we do need people to step in to his shoes. He will have to retire in the next couple of years. And I guess for us the hope is there will be people who will donate, who will also have this antibody and become life savers in the same way that he has. And all we can do is hope 
that there are people out there generous enough to do it and to do it as selflessly as he has done. Hear me today. We have the cure and the only cure for the sin in this world. There is only one name. There is only one God. And there is only one baptism. And there is only one blood that can wash away the sins of this world. And we are the people who hold the key. So the only question is... Are we going to bow to the weight and the burden that is on us? Do we really believe what we have been given? Do we really believe what we have received? Do we really believe that there is a lost and dying world going to hell? If we do, we'll give it away liberally. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me give you a hand up. Let me tell you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth what rise up and walk somebody stand with me right now and lift your hands to heaven lift your voices to heaven right now and give God glory in this house give him glory in this house in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name I need to say one more thing. I need to say one more thing. It's easy to get out of step with the Spirit of God. It's easy to drift off subject and off task with the Spirit of God. If you've ever been carrying a load with someone and the load begins to get heavy, you get to a point, you say, I can't hold this anymore. Let me adjust my grip. Let me just adjust my grip and I can get a newfound sense of this weight and we can move forward. I feel like somebody here in this house today has maybe just gotten off step just a little. Perhaps it's me. Just a little bit off step of where you should be. I, I implore you today, don't leave this house until you readjust your grip on this and get in step with the Spirit of God and let Him lead you and guide you into the calling that He has called you with. One more time, lift your hands, lift your voices to heaven, and let's ask God to touch us together now. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. 
Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.